couldn't do this in the past. And so you backed into it by sales, customer satisfaction, audit scores, profitability, you know, all these other metrics that are all lagging indicators of operating. And you said, okay, I have all these lagging indicators and they point to the fact that I'm doing okay because my profitability is there and my customer stat numbers are fine, right? It doesn't mean you're doing great. It just means that that's what those numbers are. Welcome to the Proven Principles Podcast, the show that deconstructs the inner workings of the hospitality industry, breaking down the tools, tips, and tricks that the world's best-run hotels use every day. Here's your host, Adam Knight. My guest today is Tommy Yanoulis. Tommy is the founder of Ops Analytica, a company helping hospitality businesses become more efficient and profitable through process, accountability, and data. He also happens to be a former stand-up comedian and a great storyteller. Checklists and standards audits are ubiquitous in our industry, and it's no secret that a lot of time and money goes into making sure that these things get done in the way they're intended. So why is there often a disconnect between daily practices which are designed to produce a certain result and the outcome itself? Well, that's what we're exploring on this episode. Tommy started a company that does away with standards audits that give their own standards to hotels or restaurants. Think LQA, Forbes, or AAA but also does more than just move an existing checklist from an Excel sheet to a shared online document. They're able to take the checklists and operational practices that you already have in place, the ones that are ingrained into your operation, and give you actionable data based on those checklists daily completion. Now, that's a lot to explain in one short paragraph, but the value I see is in removing the autopilot nature of most checklists, comparing them to desired business outcomes, finding the gap, then giving you the steps to fix them. So let's get to it. This is episode 88 of the Proven Principles podcast, Tommy Yanoulis on how to create operational integrity. Enjoy. Tommy, it's great to have you on the show, man. Thanks for being here. Well, thank you, Adam. I'm looking forward to it today. We're going to talk about something uh, near and dear, I think, to most uh, hotel managers' hearts. Uh, love-hate relationship, maybe a little more hate relationship with the uh, you know sort of standards, compliance, uh, audits, checks, operational effectiveness, all that fun stuff. Um, but before diving too deep, I'd love to hear a little about your story. What, how did you get to where you are today? Cause I think, uh, you've got an interesting path. Yeah. So I am, uh, from the beginning, I started in restaurants, like my first job out of the gate, 14 years old. My mom would drive me to the Columbia mall in Maryland. And I worked at the, uh, the Jerry subs and pizza making cheesesteaks. And I was on like a work permit and they would cut me early and I'd be sitting at the mall with nowhere to go because we lived far enough away. I couldn't walk home and I would just walk around the mall. Um, but I always liked cooking and hospitality. And quite honestly, I haven't worked in a ton of hotels. I've worked in some. My favorite job ever was my hotel job uh, because me and my best friend were bellmen at this hotel that wasn't that busy and all we did was screw around and it was and then when it was busy we made a fortune you know you're in high school like a senior in high school like we got golf carts stuck in rivers and like you know one guy fell off a golf cart and blew out his knee and like it was just that kind of thing driving through the snow but then it would get busy and all of a sudden you make 200 bucks and you're like what am i doing with 200 bucks like yeah i'm in high school in the 80s Right when minimum, I, I found the pace that was like four twenty five an hour is what I was making minimum wage. <laughs> so two hundred bucks was like insane. Yeah. Um, and so I I was going to go in the military, but it didn't end up working out because this is stupid stuff. But I had nowhere to go. But I was already accepted to military college, so I went to Valley Forge Military and I cooked there. So like I worked in the kitchens and we had a big you know banquet hall and all that stuff. And then I transferred and went and got a hotel restaurant degree. And so I ended up at University of Denver with a hotel restaurant degree. I was really interested in restaurants and hotels. And then I ended up like focusing on country clubs. Got my first job out of college back in the East Coast. Two months into that, a friend of mine was like getting my ass kicked, you know, first job, excuse my French. And, you know, because you go to hotel restaurant school and you know nothing. Yeah. Like it's one of the, it's one of the few like degrees where, you know, in theory what you should be doing, but when you actually get to the location, you realize I don't know anything and I got to start over and I actually need the waiter to train me because I don't know how to do this. You know, it's not like there's universal standards and I was getting my butt kicked. And, uh, I remember telling a friend of mine, Hey, I should just be a stand on it. You know, I'm 23 years old. I go, that'd be way more fun than this. She's like, you should. You're 23. What are you going to like? You're going to be 40 with a wife and kids and a mortgage, and then regret that when you were 23 and you didn't have any of that, you didn't try stand up comedy. 
And I was like, you know what? You're right. Mm-hmm. And I was a class clown in high school. I'm obviously hyper. And so like, um, <laughs> it was like idea back ahead to idea front ahead. I'm like, oh, I got to do this. And so I just figured it out. I like found an open mic in Baltimore. I signed up. I went down like three weeks later. I wrote some horrible jokes. But I remember I said a joke and everyone laughed and it was a very small room in a basement, you know, and probably the size of my office actually. Mm-hmm. And, but at, when people laugh, when you're on stage, everyone's heads go back. And I remember everyone's heads went back laughing. And I thought to myself, like in that moment, remember this, this is like the greatest thing ever. You need to do this. And so at that point I became a professional stand-up comedian, not really, but in my mind, I was like, this is what I do now. And I can just the great thing about being in hospitality is that there's always like, it's meant for people who are doing stand-up comedy or artists or yeah, exactly. So during the next decade, I did everything from wait tables at Dick's last resort and make fun of people to manage one of the busiest PF Changs in the country to, you know, um, did independent consulting on inventory systems, just whatever, man. I just, anything hospitality, I just used my like, connections and my knowledge and i just did that for about a decade and then i got like i was in my mid-30s now and i was tired and i wanted a couch and health insurance and i was like i gotta i gotta figure some stuff out here you know like this is not working (laughs) i wasn't famous or rich yet and so i thought uh i have so here's a a true story i was at the las vegas comedy festival with josh blue uh, him and I, I kind of work, help manage him because I worked at the local comedy club. We drove out together. We slept in my car to get out there and we're out there performing. And Josh Blue has just been on America's Got Talent. Like, I don't know if he won it or not. Mm-hmm. I haven't checked, but him and I were buddies. Anyways, he won like 10K at the Las Vegas Comedy Festival. I did my big performance during a fire alarm. So, you know, <laughs> stand-up comedy works great when there's a fire alarm or a right. lot of distractions. No, it was in like this giant tennis bubble with like 20 people that were all comedians and like the fire alarm was going off and I like talking to the guy who's running the show and I'm like, hey man, I think maybe we just wait till the fire alarm stops, just, you know, stand up comedy wise. He's like, ah, don't worry about it. I'm like, what do you mean don't worry about it? I just drove 16 hours, slept in my car. Like, come on, man. Yeah. So on the way back from that, that gig, I like called my old undergrad university of Denver and I just called up and I go, I need to talk to the MBA school. I go, and I just called, I go, Hey, how do I get an MBA? (laughs) And like the lady on the phone was like, so nonplus that like someone was like crazy enough to be like, you've done zero research. You just now all of a sudden want an MBA. Cause in my mind, I, with all the marketing around MBAs, I was like, Oh yeah, I can totally just, make a 10 year gap of actual work experience disappear uh-huh. with an MBA. Like yeah. people won't have any problem that you were a stand up comic with an MBA. And so I got an MBA, met my wife, graduated, got a job, uh, got laid off because it was right during the financial crisis, you know, mm-hmm. 2007, 2008 mm-hmm. and ended up at Quiznos. Uh, I, I ended up at Quiznos as a temp job and then became the manager of the department like a week or two later, and then just made it through about like 20 riffs And ended up as the RSC operations leader. And that's kind of like the, and one of my big tasks was start reporting on all the auditing that's happening across all of our locations. This is 2008, the beginning of the the financial collapse, but also the Quiznos implosion. So Quiznos was 5,000 locations at the time. Today, they might have 250 to 350 locations. So... I was there at the very tippy top, like at the, at the, the crest the peak. Yeah. and we were starting to drop restaurants pretty, pretty, uh, quickly. And so people were getting very scared, obviously. And they were like, you got to figure out what's going on in these restaurants. And so I ended up building a platform, which is sort of the basis of my current platform, which was a way to go on a 2008 smartphone and go in and inspect a restaurant. And it was all online and you could go in and answer questions and we could download the data into an Excel and we could report off of it and we would know how people were doing. Um, I, end, I ended up leaving Quiznos because uh, a buddy of mine from grad school, which is the only reason you go to grad school is to get is people to get that are doing stuff around yep. you. Yeah. He's like, Hey man, I just got recruited by Semantic. I got this job. I'm leaving. They need a developer. You liked building that software for Quiznos. Why don't you take my old job? And I was like, okay, cool. Obviously, I could see the writing on the wall. Quiznos was a, was the Titanic cruising towards the iceberg. 
and we had been riffing people like every couple of weeks forever. And I was like, eventually they're going to get me. Like mm-hmm. someone's going to, they're going to nail me. So just bolt now. And we ended up buying that company, me and, and another two guys. And then we did that for five years. So we did software development um, in the security space for huge companies. And we were this tiny little company, but my clients were like the World Bank and Visa and Wells Fargo, like huge guys, mm-hmm. because Semantic sold the deals in. And they needed us to do this one thing, which was called semantic workflow. And, uh, you know, in 2013, I had a training project. I needed a guy to come in and I needed to teach him how to do it. So I said, rebuild that thing I built at Quiznos, but do it on this platform. He did it. Which which wanted to buy it off of a LinkedIn video that we put out. And it wasn't (laughs) even a product at the time. So then I spent the next like 18 months, nights and weekends building it out, like just after hours. We got it into a chain of restaurants in 2014. And then at that point, I was just kind of burned out on the consulting gig. You know, consulting is really hard, as you know, mm-hmm. currently. Like, mm-hmm. uh, And especially software consulting is really hard. I think like, one of the hardest things you can do because you're not working with professional software people. You're just working with business people who just keep changing the requirements yeah. constantly. And it just gets all convoluted. Mm-hmm. And so we decided to kind of end that company and my current business partner, Eric, and I started Ops Analytica with the software I had built there as our kind of MVP or minimum viable product. And, uh, you know, and then we just launched our company and just bootstrapped it. And we've been in business since 27 years now. It's 2015. So. Wow. That's incredible. So, and it all started with, I mean, effectively, you know, getting a, an entry into hospitality like a lot of us do and yeah. you sort of find your path you find the thing that you kind of speaks to you and like was it do you think it was the was it the i hate to say the word compliance but like you know the making sure that maybe the integrity of the operation is a better way to say it that people that things did you have a passion to make sure things were done the way they were supposed to get done or was that just a, a thing you sort of tripped into with quiznos well i think i think it came from a, a couple of different parts of my career, right? Obviously you go to the college, you learn about systems and, and you know that there's a right way to do all this, right? And that was undergrad. And then uh, MBA is sort of the same way. The whole MBA in my mind wasn't about actually learning business. It was learning that these things, someone's already thought this stuff out and how to figure it out, right? Mm-hmm. But when we were at Quiznos, our biggest problem was non-compliance. We couldn't get the franchisees to do what they were supposed to do, even though it was in their best interest that relationship was so sour by that point that people were just working against their own self-interest uh, just to, to, to stick a thumb at the man, right? And yeah. my first job at Quizzes, which I didn't mention, um, was I ran the franchise assistance program. And so in 2008, in the financial crisis with Quiznos imploding, I was the guy you called to say, hey, my business is failing. Can you help me? And what I saw over and over again, that was like my kind of my second MBA really was how people um, acted when their businesses were failing. And it was the, it was not logical in any way, shape or form. It was 100% uh, emotional mm-hmm. and they stopped doing the basic things that they need to do. They stopped cleaning. They stopped having an accountant. They stopped, uh, you know, going in and buying approved products and all these things. And it, like that, all that got into my head and I'm like, you know, there's an issue. And then obviously I ran, like I worked at one of the busiest PF Changs too. And we took that restaurant that was already really busy. It was doing like 120 a week and we got it up to 200,000 a week uh, by um, what's it called during like 2001. So mm-hmm. starting in like January, I was like the floor manager and we just did everything by the book. And it's like all these individual little experiences, right. Kind of came together. And most people, especially like our competitors in this space as well, most people audited like the original software that kind of came out for hotels, for restaurants, for all this stuff is an auditing platform. And audits are really easy to do because it's generally one giant inspection and you just go in and do it on some sort of cadence, right? Mm -hmm. But from my own personal experience, from all these different aspects, I realized auditing is great as like a benchmark. Oh, okay. Did we move the needle from Q1 to Q2? But it's not, you're not going to drive behavior and consistency and better sales and better profits and better customer satisfaction 
unless you're focused on the day-to-day operations. So from day one, I was always like, we got to do day-to-day. Like audits, you can do audits on a day-to-day platform. It's actually really hard to transform an audit platform into a day-to-day platform because there's Mm -hmm. too much variability going on. But I just knew like, if we can't get the team, and and I think a lot of that came from that Chang's because like we just went to back to basics, right? Like the Chang's philosophy, four table stations, lots of training, lots of really taking care of people, um, you know, just really timing everything out, all those things. And we just focused on the basics and we just, inc- we got better and we incrementally grew. It was every week we were just adding a couple thousand bucks. We were hit, we were hitting like personal records on Saturday lunch, you know, mm. what the heck? And this yeah. is when Chang's was hot. Like we had a 90 minute wait on a Monday night type of thing. Yeah. But like, so anyway, all that came together and I was just like, it's got, oh, and also military school too, I think too, just SOPs for everything. I was just like, dailies are the way to go. If we can, like, because the thing too about an audit, an audit's like a, a, a balance sheet, right? It's yeah. a snapshot in time. Right. But your compliance ch- uh, changes shift by shift based on who's the shift supervisor, what employees do you have on there, you know? And so- you just, you, and the problem is, is consistency, right? Like, and consistency is only going to be driven by making sure that we double check what we're supposed to be doing and making sure we're ready. Right. And it all kind of stems from that. And so that's, that was just my focus. Yeah. I'm curious to get your thoughts. Cause, cause when you take a, an audit, I, I mean, I have personal experience with this, like we back working for, especially St. Regis, um, years ago, several years ago, we, I mean, there was, there were brand standards that had to be hit. There were AAA standards. There were Forbes standards. There was a third party that came in and did you know their thing, and they all kind of spoke to each other, I guess, fundamentally, somewhat. They were kind of looking at similar things, but you know, we when we were trying, I don't want to say we gamed the system, but you're always obviously you're trying to get to an end result. And so you reverse yeah. engineer the audit and you're like, okay, we have to do all of these things to make sure that we get the result we're looking for. And then you build the systems and the checklists and the meetings in place to have on a daily, weekly, or monthly basis, depending on who your audience is. Uh, and it was incredibly labor intensive to go yeah. through that. And it was a it was arduous on everybody because there were obviously a lot of stakeholders who who were invested in the outcome of those audits. So you sort of like, it quickly sort of mushrooms, right? And I guess I'm curious to get your thoughts as you look at the Quiznos experience in particular. Um, When you take these big systems and boil them down into day-to-day or shift-to-shift requirements, is it, are you talking about checklists and just, you know, you got to do this at this time and this at that time, and this shift takes care of that shift and whatnot, or is there a little more um, infrastructure to it? I think that like there's well first of all there's two kinds of checklists right let's break that down because like, it's and it can be like in our system we call them checklists but they can be anything checklists audits logs forms you know whatever it doesn't matter it's just a way to capture information and data and also to guide people through a process right so uh, and I just wrote a blog on this but there's basically pre-process checklist and post-process checklist so a pre-process checklist is going to be something for instance a line check right i got to make sure everything's on the line everything tastes right everything is safe so that when we go to have breakfast or lunch that not only can we maximize our sales opportunity right number two we're not going to get anyone sick hopefully and number three uh, that everything tastes to the standard so that people are happy with the food and beverage. And so that pre-process checklist is a checklist that you're going to do prior to something, right? The shift or the meal period or whatever it might be. And then the post-process checklist is more of a double check. And so, for instance, if I'm a housekeeper, right, I would slow the housekeeper down by having her go through my system and go, okay, scrub the toilet, toilet. You know, okay, scrub the sink, sink. That that's arduous, and that's all that housekeeper's doing all day long is crimps. But at the same time, we need a double check 
that we didn't miss anything because the problem with the job like a housekeeper is that you've been cleaning rooms nonstop for six months. You can't remember what you did in any particular room because it's all just a blur. And yet there are like 10 things that like are criticals that I want you just to double check before you walk out of the room, right? Um, that the bed is made, that, you know, the iron's where it's supposed to be, whatever those 10 things are, there's towels folded, you know? And so I want you before you leave just to grab a tablet or a phone and go through and go, yep, yep, yep. And better yet, take photos, click, 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 mm-hmm. and then walk out the door. So going back to your original question, I think it's a combination of these different forms that you give to your team. Um, and and you try to make them as like the goal is like I always tell people you don't get extra credit for having uh, the longest checklist in the world. I see these line checks that take ninety minutes to do, and they got ten percent compliance because no one's got ninety minutes to do them. Mm-hmm. You know, we were able to take one of our line checks that were like fifty, sixty minutes for one of our clients and boil it down to like a twenty minute checklist, and now it gets done because someone can get twenty minutes, but they can't take an hour, right? And so you don't get extra credit for it. And so what I always tell people too, and this is like, sorry, uh, my Siri, uh, <laughs> it gets wonky. I, if I talk with my hands, which you can see that no one else can, <laughs> I like flip my Siri on my watch. Anyway, uh, so like I tell people too, what's the goal of the checklist, right? Is the goal to be safe? Is it to be clean? Is it to be ready? Well, then let's just focus on the goal, right? And and then and let's have a goal and let's try to make it as like the least amount of arduousness as possible, but at the same time, let's accomplish the goal of what we're trying to do at that time. Yeah. And that's a, but I'm sorry to cut you off, but that's a really good point because, and you alluded to it when you were doing the kitchen setup or a housekeeping job in particular, there's so much in the industry that's repetitive and you get on autopilot and you have to just, you sort of, you do your mise, right? You set everything up the same way every time, bartenders the same way, and you stop seeing things when you've been doing yep. it for a long time. And that's why five people could walk through a restaurant or a guest room and five people find five different things that need to be fixed. Yep. Right. And so a checklist like this, I suppose, would try to circumvent some of that. Or just double check. Like, so I, you know, the, like once again, the pre is more about safety and, and readiness, right? Because the, the whole point of this, of, of doing these checklists is that, you know, in the hospitality industry as a whole, right? I would say eight, I'm a big fan of the Pareto principle. 80% of the time that we screw up, um, or when we screw up, first of all, it's not catastrophic. It's not like your front desk person jumped over the front desk and like started choking out a client, you know, and punching him in the face. And like, yeah. that doesn't happen all the time. Most of the time, it's just a bunch of little things that just weren't great, right? But the problem is, is that, the problem for our industry is, is that we've already identified all those things. We already know that they all exist. You know, we know that like the room needs to be clean and that the the sink has to be dry and that the towels have to be, we know that, but yet there's just too many things now, right? There's just too many things as human beings were more distracted than ever with phones and technology and all this stuff. And we're just missing them. And, and you just miss a couple little things and all of a sudden you went from an A experience to a B experience. And that B experience means I'm not coming back as – I might not come back as quickly as I will. Or I'll just go, eh, was the St. Regis worth $750 a night? I don't know. I mean, you know, we had like our, we had to find more towels and we had to go like steal them off a cart. Like that's not yep. what I'm paying for, you know? Right. And it ends right. up being death by a thousand cuts. And it, it's not one thing. It's it's 50 little things that add up to a mediocre experience. And and those are all things that we can control. It's not like these things are happening. An asteroid didn't hit the pool, and now we don't have a pool. Like, we just didn't clean the pool right, you know, or we didn't maintain the equipment or whatever it is that's causing these little, like, bugaboos mm-hmm. that are, like, killing these customer experiences. And the other thing that we have to look at too, so you have the operational part, but now everybody's a baby and has this gigantic voice and they can go out and they can just scream it from the rooftops, ah, three stars, one star, you know? And also we expect everything to be perfect all the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, I do, like I get so angry when yeah. people screw up and I'm, yeah, I'm sure my clients get mad at me when I screw up, you know what I mean? Like yep. it's the same thing, but like, 
we're all like, so we're these, our customers are giant babies and they have way more competition than you ever had before. You know, it's right. not like you're the hot shop and you're the only restaurant for 80 miles. Yeah. You know? Yeah. There's yeah. 50 restaurants and 10 feet of you that you can do the same thing. right now. <laughs> they could they don't exactly. do the same thing as you. Yeah. And all the food's the same because it's all coming from three major suppliers and yeah. 50 like, you know, commissaries. So it's Good like, point. you know. We just, yeah. we have too much competition and we're shooting ourselves in the foot because we can't, we're not giving our employees the tools and we're not holding them accountable to using the tools that we give them to be great. Yeah. And I think, you know, a couple layers deeper on that. Uh, and, and I can, I can already hear people commenting about, yeah, that's great, but you know, we have no staff and how do we, yeah, exactly right. How do we do the things that, you know, we're supposed to do when we're just trying to keep the wheels on the, on the, on the bus, right. As we go go down, get through yeah. the day. Um, and have you seen in working with any of your clients, particularly in the last couple of years now, that that getting more diligent in what we're talking about today within your operation, does that actually, does that help staff? Does that help retention? Does it help people maybe get their arms around what they're coming in to do every single day? Does it make the job easier, I guess? Yes and no. So it was interesting. I was just talking to some guys yesterday that are piloting the system and they were like, you know, they're in Louisiana and they have a hundred shops and they were like, you know, we had the hurricane and the pandemic and then Omicron. And he's like, we, we were running these restaurants and they were dirty and they were not running well. And we know that we were understaffed, like no one was coming to work and we were just trying to keep the lights on. And he's like, now we're finally like, you know, all the aids gone and we're, we're staffed up again. And now we're trying to get back to our standards from like two years ago, you know, yeah. is what he was saying. And, and so people hate checklists in general. Now that check their, their hatred of checklists um, in general are mainly number one stem from the paper checklist world where they were just deemed as busy work, right? Because people look at them and go, I've been doing this for 20 years, right? I don't need you to tell me to go check the walk-in. But then the reality is, is that if you don't tell them to go check the walk-in and hold them accountable to doing it, they just simply won't do it. So um, so people take it as an affront to you know their own professionalism, if you will, and their experience. Um, and, and also, so that's part of it. And that's ego, right? Um, that's, that, that's simply ego. And also it, it stemmed with a paper checklist. No one ever looked at them. And so, and no one, and, and because you had no visibility, no accountability mechanism, no way to report on anything. You simply had a clipboard and a piece of paper and you, you know, what's the number one rule of giving feedback, timely feedback, right? Like timely, honest, non-judgmental feedback. So many of these checklists have just been pencil whipped or never done. Because no one could catch you in real time not doing them. And then no one ever looked at them and no one ever took any of the data off of them and nobody ever used this wealth of information. And then they simply just got thrown away or shredded six months later, right? So they were they were like the definition of stupid busy work. And so and everybody in the world could go, well, I could do this stupid checklist that Adam's never going to look at and won't know that I didn't do, or I can go out and like get the restaurant ready to go. What do you think I should do? Like that right. attitude, right? Right. And then, and so that's why they hate checklists in general. But the reality of the situation is, is that we now, all our jobs are more complex because of all the different, even if you just run a restaurant today versus like one 40 years ago, all the setup's the same, right? But now you have 50 apps you're in charge of that you have to go get numbers out of and plug in here and move there. So now you have like all this extra complexity that you need to do. Um, And so this the reality is, is that jobs are more complex than they've ever been before. Just Mm -hmm. there's too many tasks for a human being to remember. And people can only keep four or five things in their head at any one time anyways. And that's and the best situation when you're well rested, you're fully staffed, everyone showed up, you know, not today where you know none of those things exist and um and then two today we now have this ability to use this data and so we have to kind of flip the script on how this operational management is going to work because the data that we're collecting i can go in and tell you the number one issue at this chain right now two clicks 
huh. food safety wise. You know what I mean? Like I can pull that level of data out. And so now that our clients are getting hold of this data, they can't live without it. It's so funny to watch this sort of transformation that happens um, with these checklists. And by the way, the food safety and the daily operational checklist, they're like 10% of the checklists that these clients are building for themselves. Mm-hmm. Those are just the ones that everyone's familiar with. Those are the clipboards on the wall. But what we're finding for larger chains is that this is the way they manage the chain. This is how they manage the field. This is how they collect data in a timely manner and make sure that people are doing what they're supposed to be doing across everything. So much more around compliance. Like Seattle is a perfect example. Schedule compliance in Seattle is insanity. And if you biff it, you're yep. going to get fined. That's right. And, and, and you're going to have to pay people for days they didn't work and you're going to get fined by the state. And so like in markets like Seattle, San Francisco, New York, where like those labor laws, one of the biggest things that we're doing is labor law compliance checklists. Did you get your schedule posted? Did you make any changes? So corporate knows what to expect, right? Like it's, it, it just is crazy. Yeah. Just a, a tool to run the business. What kind of data, you can maybe give us an example of, of how does it, so I've got a thousand questions in my head. I'll try to boil them down into like one, one easy thing to answer. But okay, so you know, I I'm a restaurant owner, I'm a hotel owner, hotel manager, and I hire you guys to 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 do this for me. Yeah. So what does a typical engagement look like, and what data can I expect? And I know that that's a very broad question, but what data can I expect to? to, to make things better? What am I, what am I learning other than like, sure. Oh yeah. You know, Jimmy, uh, you know, always goes late for lunch. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. So what we do is first of all, our platform, like you could think of it similar to an Excel in the respect of it could be anything you want it to be. So we take your checklist. That's first and foremost. I'm not coming to you with checklist saying, this is what you should do. I'm saying, give me your checklist, your operational procedures, how you want to manage your business and let me build them into my platform. Right? Uh, so, uh, so first and foremost, I'm just an extension of what you're already doing. The second thing that we add value on just on a side note is all that training and all those materials that you're buying and all those job aids, we literally put those in the checklist. So you're giving the person who's doing the checklist everything they need to do, right, to know how to do the checklist right then and there. Whereas like on a paper checklist, you know, it just says, you know, uh, calibrate the thermometer. I can literally insert a video link to how you calibrate a thermometer right in the question. So you can just watch the video right there if you've never done it before. Mm-hmm. Um so I'm taking all of your checklists and I'm putting them in our system. And then what we're measuring on, we measure across the board, right? So we're measuring on uh, the answers to the questions, right? First and foremost, if the answer is negative or it doesn't meet standard at whatever level, we can require photos and additional comments, or we can take you through a series of remediation steps to solve the problem. So I had a, a client that was basically like, oh, the tabbouleh didn't make temp. Okay. So the next question that shows up is, was that made today or was it made in the past? And then based on that answer, it then said, okay, if it was made in the past, toss it because we don't know how long it's been out of temp. If it was made today, rapid chill it, right? Get it down and get it, um, you know, chilled and get it out of the way. So like you can take people through steps. So now you can see their remediation. You can see exactly what they did. Take a photo of what you did or leave us a comment. That data is invaluable if you're drilling in on that specific question, like, Hmm. you know, why is the soda machine leaking? And you might have four or five options and then you get comments and photos and all of a sudden, you know, hey, we bought a bunch of soda machines with bad hose connectors. Well, don't buy any more of those or Hmm. maybe there's a simple fix, right? Whatever it might be. Um, And then, so then you're collecting just the answers to the questions, but then you start to learn about manager efficacy. And this is really where it gets interesting because now you can see, does this guy start his checklists on time? Do they get them completed? Do they pencil with them? Um, Are they doing them on site when it comes to auditing? We had like, we heard of a subway guy that was like going in and saying, give me 500 bucks and you'll get an A audit. And he was going and playing golf, right? Like, you know, you hear those like horror stories. So we have this whole thing we call data accuracy scoring, where we can actually, because we are the data collection tool and also the analytics tool, we can actually tell you if the checklist that was done was done accurately. And we're like one of the only people in the world that can do that because of the fact that we collect the data and just how powerful our system is. 
But so then we start to learn about how the managers are doing and addressing these things. What's the cadence of answering questions? Are they doing them correctly? Is this a recurring issue? Because what we should see is that recurring issues get flagged all the time. They should start to go away because you should get tired of going, this is always broken. Maybe I should just go fix it, right? Right. Because you're making people check everything. So what it does is it allows corporate, if you will, or management at any level to determine how well their teams are doing and what they're supposed to be doing. Do we have recurring issues in our business, right, that we might need to address through training, through different procedures, through better equipment, whatever that might be. Um, and, and it gives, you know, I think the people who benefit the most from it are those area manager level guys, the district manager, the guy who's managing six or 10 properties, mm-hmm. because that guy can come in and do a more effective job of managing their entire patch because they can see exactly what's happening in every location, like on their phone in yeah. real time. They can be in one store following up with another store about an issue. Like it, it just, it gives them eyes in every location. Yeah. And in so real, real time. Yeah. 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 Yep. <laughs> I'm tricking my watch. Siri wants it on this. I'm ridiculous. <laughs> uh, I, so, who who's actually completing the data, the checklist? Is that does your team go in to do our, that on a periodic basis? No, it, it's the hourly employees. It, it's, it's the hourly managers. employees. It's the so, staff. Yeah. Yeah. So that's so that's. I'm glad you said that because is there a way that you've built in something that a mechanism to. To, to strip away people's, uh, what am I trying to say here? Like sometimes there's a motivation to move through a checklist oh, yeah. quickly to get it done, right? And so, and to make it, yep. you know, you seem like, oh yeah, I did my checklist, so I'm doing a good job. And so they fly through it, whether the, the data is accurate or not is a whole other question. What's the mechanism to yeah. make sure that doesn't happen? Pictures. Okay. Pictures slow everything down. And you can tell someone's uploading the same photo every time because we have some dashboards that would allow you to look and go, well, I'm looking at this one location and this is the same picture every day. Um, and so it's pictures and it's un- it's understanding the why, right? Why are we doing this? It's understanding that the data that's being collected is actually valuable data that we're using. So you're actually helping the business be better by providing us with this data So that why part, right, whether it's food safety or whether it's cleanliness, it's explaining what the deal is. And, you know, some companies do better job than this than others. Um, And then photos act as a as a as a stopgap, because what what happens is, is, you know, it might be the picture might be, does your uh, does your uh, make table look like this make table and go snap a photo of it? And so. You know, and then you can move people around the restaurant, making them take pictures. You can't pencil with that. You can pencil with a true false checklist. And you know, yes, 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 yes. You yeah. can have it done. I mean, you'll be amazed at how fast people can hit yes. Oh, yeah. Times. Yeah. So like, <laughs> like you, you did 500 in like two minutes. You should yeah. get like a reward for right. how fast you did You should that, run right? this restaurant. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. But yeah. so pictures and, you know, but once again, too, Like, and here's what we've like, this has been the biggest conundrum. And I've tried every way under the sun to do this. I cannot make people be honest and do a good job. It is impossible for me as a platform to do that. Like people will always hammer us. Like, why don't you send out notifications when the schedules are due? And why don't you like send out like when they should start? And why don't you tell them like again at this time and do all these things? And I'm like, I have tried to devise every way to do it. You know, push notifications. I could have, I could get Twilio and start calling your restaurant. But at the end of the day, I am just a third party vendor who is there to collect information on your business. Your managers have to manage your employees. And if you have bad managers, then this is going to very greatly highlight that you have bad managers, but that's good. I, I don't look at any of the data we collect as bad. All the data we collect is amazing because it tells you what's really happening in your business. And then you now don't have to guess about what you should be focusing on. You can simply look and go, this is what I should be focusing on. Yeah, I should be focusing on getting my managers to do this versus uh, let's do training on buffet setups because that's how much, you know, nobody ever knew what was actually happening. And so we were always stressed trying to guess what we should do our next big training event on. 
versus now I can give you in real time, real constructive feedback on your operations and how you're doing your job if I choose to do so. You know? and, prov- and, and providing an environment to improve accountability, not, not exactly. take it away. Yeah, yeah. And, and also praise people. I don't want this to seem like it's so, so accountability, negative, yeah, right? Yeah, on both sides, yeah. Yeah, you're doing amazing. Keep it up. You're doing great. You need a promotion, man. You need a raise. Yeah. You always do this accurately, and we really appreciate that. You know yeah. what I mean? Like that's as if not more important. You know, yeah, and also I, this really plays into that millennial thing too. They love apps. They love being online. They want to feel like they're making a difference. They want to feel like if they're if you're asking them to do something that is busy work, that they won't do busy work. But if you convince them that look, the data we're collecting from this is keeping people safe, and it's making uh, our ability to make decisions better, mm-hmm. and you can gamify you know, it a little bit. Even better. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Just reward your team for doing a great job. Yeah. You know? And I think the big benefit here um, is that you take the existing checklists and you put them into yeah. your platform. You're not making up standards based off of a sample set of so many restaurants and like this is what. Yeah. And you're not talking about 80-20. You're not 80-20ing the checklists, right? And that, I think that's an important yep. distinction, which a lot of other standards compliance companies, they will do. They will just, they, they'll give you the things that you should be doing from their perspective, because that's what all of your competitors are doing in, rather yep. than, you know, what you guys are doing on a day-to-day basis. I think that that's the rub. That's the big difference. And, and we share best practices with people, obviously, like if they ask, like we get on a call and go, this is what the best people are doing. The other thing that's really cool about our platform is that we have this thing called dynamic checklists, right? And so I'll give you an example. Qdoba. Qdoba is one of our clients. They're one of our, our uh, they're like one of our most proficient clients. Like they truly do an amazing job when it comes to food safety and daily operations. Mm-hmm. And they have one temp log. And that one temp log runs every single location in their chain. But what we are able to do, because our platform is, is very uh, uh, dynamic, is we go through at the very beginning when they came, each restaurant came on, we said, okay, tell us what's in your restaurant. Tell us um, what you have. And then that temp log, when it loads, it looks at the attributes of that location. How many hot boxes? How many hand sinks? They don't sell pinto beans. They do do this test. They're testing this item. And so every time that checklist loads, it is like to use an inventory term, it's sheet to shelf. To the exact location, which means that they can require every question to be answered because they're and they're not leaving it up to that hourly employee to go, oh, is that an important thing that I should check? I don't know. I'm going to say no when it actually is. Right. So like we can make it so that it's always exactly what's perfect for that location at that time um, of day. Yeah. And that means that you can require every question to be answered, which means that you're going to get completed checklist done. Now it's not going to stop people from pencil whipping, but we can at least identify that in other ways and go, okay, these guys are pencil whipping. And that's a managerial thing. Go in and tell the guy to stop pencil whipping. Yeah. Reorganize your day a little bit, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that th- this is, this is interesting. And I, I've never used you guys. This is, you know, again, not a sponsored episode, but I yeah. think there's a lot of value here and in, in, um, in this way of looking at things, you know, sure. There's uh, the, uh, I, I guess the last point I just want to touch on before we wrap here is, sure. is something that, that honestly just came to mind where in the hotel world, there are plenty of, of standards and compliance auditors out there. And those are, they're usually done by third parties. They're not done by the people yeah. at the hotel. Um, and like I said at the beginning, there was a lot of value placed on those, but I think in a lot of cases, those were stripped away um, during the last two years. And whether it was, business volume that did it, whether it was lack of staffing that caused it, a combination of things, there was a relaxing of standards. You even talked about a relaxing of standards for for yeah. a company in Louisiana, right? And now people, I think, are trying to, maybe trying to get back to where they were prior to the pandemic, but maybe reevaluating how they're doing it and wondering, like, is there really value in bringing a third party in that tells us if we should be doing the things that they say that we should be doing? versus optimizing how their business is run through their checklist using a company like yours uh, to try to make that happen. I think I'd be interested to see how that shakes out. Well, I think, you know, 
it's kind of like uh, it's the, the, I look at those audits, especially the hotel audits, and like hospitals get them too. You know, a lot of things get them. It's kind of like uh, standardized testing for kids. Like my daughter's going to have to go through standardized testing. And they're like, we don't want to teach to the test, but we kind of have to back into what we're doing, right? It's sort of the same thing. But ultimately, what you're looking for is how do I do a better job of controlling what I need to control to ensure that my customers are having the best possible experience every interaction they have in my property? And hotels are much harder than restaurants, right? Because you might be there. I just left a hotel. I was in Mexico for a week. So I had that many more times to see their screw ups, right? Whereas a restaurant, you're there for two hours and you leave. And so, um, how do I, how do I get, like, I know how, what it takes to run my hotel correctly. And, 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 you know, this property was, it's called the moon palace and it's like three giant properties. They have 500 golf carts driving around. Somebody's got to be responsible for charging all those golf carts. Oh, yeah. Like those are the little, you know, you have to break down the entire operation of this gigantic, property into all of the little daily functions that need to get done that we need to control so that the guest has a seamless experience and wants to come back and do this again, right? And so it's, I think, more important for all hospitality operations is to focus on how do I control what I need to control? Because that's where the death by a thousand cuts is coming is when somebody misses one of those little dumb things and all of a sudden, you know, it just cascades into the, the drive-through lines too long. The meal wasn't that good because they put too much salt in it. It doesn't matter mm-hmm. what it is. When we stop checking and reminding people how to do their job, then they miss things naturally because it's just natural. And then the guest is the one that pays. The guest pays the immediate price, but then the property pays the ultimate price when that guest gives a bad review to bad word of mouth or just doesn't come back as frequently right. as they should, right? And so operationally like and this was always a black hole too right you couldn't do this before before the invention of the ipad this wasn't a thing that people did very well i mean you could kind of do it on the phone but you just didn't do it and so you backed into everything right that's why those audits were such a big deal in the past because you couldn't know what people were doing on monday and tuesday so you just had to pay someone to come in and that didn't have a, a uh you know their motivation's off anyways, too, because they don't want to give too many bad audits because then the company will fire them and get one that gives them better audits because right. they don't want to know. But, you know, like you just you couldn't do this in the past. And so you backed into it by sales, customer satisfaction, audit scores, profitability, um, you know, all these other metrics that are all lagging indicators of operating. And you said, okay, I have all these lagging indicators and they point to the fact that I'm doing okay because my profitability is there and my customer sat numbers are fine, right? It doesn't mean you're doing great. It just means that that's what those numbers are. But now we have the ability to actually see what's happening in our operations and collect data and use that data to make better decisions, which just makes managing better. And, And now you're making a conscious choice to be living in the 1980s or the 1960s if you're not adopting this kind of stuff, right? Because like this, I, this, this is something I want us all to close our eyes and think about. Imagine another business besides multi-unit hotel and restaurant operations where you have no visibility into how your business is actually operating on a daily basis. Just imagine that. Yeah. Imagine a world where you just, but we all have lived it so long that we're okay with it. But like, if you were setting that business up today, do you think Google doesn't know what's going on on their servers? Mm-hmm. You know, you don't, you know, like manufacturers have been able to do this because they were able to automate and put in all these systems, but hospitality and multi-location businesses just have, are like on that precipice, right? Mm-hmm. Where they, you can actually know now. And, and what I can tell you is the people that are implementing stuff like this, it's changing the game for them. Um, going back to Qdoba, we started with them with four checklists. And I talked to the guy who brought me in, and he was like, yeah, we were thinking four checklists. That's all we were going to do. They have 120 checklists that they use to operate their business right now. And they built them all themselves. That's how easy it is to build them. But they built them all themselves, and it's every dumb little thing you can imagine that they have to manage from corporate. This is the platform they use versus email and Google Forms, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And and I know I'm like rambling, but uh, last thing, I truly believe, and I, you know, and I could be wrong, but this is the next battle. This is the next technology battleground 
for businesses battling businesses. Because a company that has access to what's happening operationally in real time, that has data, can identify issues quicker. They can identify issues, they can do it quicker, and they can put solves out quicker, which means they are going to irritate, they are going to have less pissed off customers, right? Which means their customer satisfaction is going to go up, which means their word of mouth, their sales, their profits are going to eventually grow. And it's going to happen incrementally. And so the companies that are adopting this data-driven, systems-driven view to operations, whether it's my platform or my competitors, Mm -hmm. they are operating better and making better decisions than the competitors that don't have that. And it's like a snowball rolling down a mountain. It just It's little, little things. It's all death by a thousand cuts. You just keep eliminating those thousand cuts. And all of a sudden, now you have that much more revenue coming in, which means you can advertise more, which means that you can get better properties. You know, I can go mm-hmm. from the resort on the beach versus across the street, right? I can just start incrementally adding like value in my business all the way across. And then all of a sudden, you're like, you know, you're looking at your competitor and the, your competitor sitting there going, how? How did they do that? We were like neck and neck five years ago. What is going on? How has this guy got 50 new properties and like these super expensive properties? It's because they're handling their business. Yeah. Right. Yep. I mean, we, we all operate as our, our whole job is operating. Sales yep. come from operations. They don't yep. come before operations. That's right? true. Like, That's true. That's so true. It's, like, I, it's nuts. Yeah, Tommy, I, I think there's a ton of value here uh, for people that, that you know, I you said it better than I could say it. I think there's it's definitely worth looking into for, you know, whether yeah. you're big, small, independent, branded, whatever it is. If you want to take things to the next level, this is something you should look at. If anybody wants to learn more about you or Ops Analytica, where should they go? Uh, OpsAnalytica.com. They should see a demo and just check it out. I mean, it'll take you 20, 30 minutes to see the demo of the platform. And then you can go, oh, this is for me or no, I don't want to deal with it. And also what I would suggest too, is if you don't have good checklist, like one of the big stumbling blocks for people is, oh my God, my checklists are horrible. You know what? Your checklist may be horrible, but they're better than no checklist at all. And this is, this is something that you build incrementally. Like this is, you, you, you do this, you iter- excuse me, not incrementally, iteratively. So you start with what you have today and then you get the data guide you to what you need to manage next. So it's actually better just to get started with something and then let the data drive what you need to do more or less of. Because people come in and they want to lock this whole thing down. And I can do that. But man, it pisses their employees off so bad. They turn it off like 10 seconds later because they're like, whoa, you know? Yeah, so which just, is the which is not the goal. <laughs> We're trying to no, increase exactly. engagement. You don't want to yeah. make it horrible. You just, yeah. want to, you just want to control what you can control and have the best possible opportunity to wow your customers and 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 just because when you wow as we all know when we wow our customers they come everything else you know sales cures everything wowing your customers is what allows you to create sales and not controlling what you can control just makes you look dumb there's the, and it there's, just there's the clip. <laughs> there's the show clip. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Tommy, man, it's been good talking to you. I appreciate you coming on. Thank you guys so much and, and take care, Adam. Appreciate it. This was my episode with Tommy Yunulis. You can learn more about Ops Analytica at opsanalytica.com. Thank you so much for listening to the show this week. If you're not a subscriber to the podcast, please do subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. For past episodes or to get in touch with us, just go to theprovenprinciplespodcast.com. If you want to follow us on Instagram, we're at The Proven Principles Podcast, or you can find us on LinkedIn. I'm Adam Knight, and you've been listening to The Proven Principles Podcast. Until next time.